0: This week on Sit Rep, we look at Liam Fox's leaked letter. So, are we any closer to decisions on defence spending?
1: We're left an appalling legacy in defence by Labour, and it's a shambolic financial position they left behind. And we're trying to sort it out.
0: As Lieutenant General Sir Nick Parker leaves Afghanistan, what does the future hold? And Labour has a new leader. But do the party's views on defence mean anything?
2: BFBS. 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 Sibrep. Headlines.
3: David Cameron says his defence secretary is wrong to fear for the future of the armed forces. It emerged in a leaked letter that Liam Fox had warned the Prime Minister that making draconian spending cuts while the country's at war would have grave consequences. Speaking on ITV's this morning, Mr Cameron said defence funding has to be reformed. An inquest has heard how the blast from a massive roadside bomb in Afghanistan threw a 36-tonne British troop carrier two feet in the air, killing the driver, Private James Prosser of South Wales. The 21-year-old was on patrol in the Musakala district last September. In Intelligence officials in Pakistan claim two British brothers were behind a recent terror plot against several UK cities and others in Europe. The unnamed source claims one of the men, Abdul Jabbar, was killed in a missile strike by a US unmanned aerial drone. And North Korea has released the first official images of Kim Jong-un, the youngest son of the leader Kim Jong-il, and his likely successor. A grainy photo shows a pudgy-faced and unsmiling young man sitting with officials from North Korea's ruling Workers' Party. And that's the latest. I'm Adam Gilchrist.
0: Well, after months of speculation, lobbying and argument, we're edging closer to final decisions in the Strategic Defence and Security Review. Yesterday, in a leaked private letter to the Prime Minister, the Defence Secretary, Liam Fox, warned the big cuts to the military budget could have grave consequences for the government while the country is fighting in Afghanistan. The letter was published in the Daily Telegraph. Here's what Liam Fox had to say on the matter.
1: Naturally, I deprecate any leak. It's appalling that a Secretary of State can't write to the Prime Minister in confidence. We were left an appalling legacy in defence by Labour. It's a shambolic financial position they left behind, and we're trying to sort it out. It's very difficult. We're in a spending round. It's likely to be robust when there's tight finances.
0: I'm joined in the studio by British Forces News Defence Analyst Christopher Lee. Hi, Christopher, good to see you. Hello. Well, you called it, didn't you? You said that there would be leaks and there have been.
4: Yeah, but could you keep a straight face when the Defence Secretary He says, couldn't. Oh, gracious <laughs> me. And the other thing, uh, the, the Chiefs of Staff, the Generals, the Admirals and the Air Marshals said, oh, we didn't know he was writing a letter then get new chiefs of staff because mm. if they don't know what's going on, they're not doing the job. The point is we've been here before. We always have leaks. They're never investigated because nobody wants to know who actually did the leaking. Um, and it's, it, it just it simply happens. What we've got to start thinking about is not so much what's gone on this week, but it's the next meeting with the, with the council. And then because we're heading up for October 20, when we're supposed to get the big decisions uh, all announced, but I don't think we'll get the details of them even then.
0: Richard Norton-Taylor is The Guardian's security correspondent, and he's on the line now. Uh, Richard, good to speak to you today. Uh, what do you think is behind this story, this leak? What happened exactly?
5: Well, one may smile. I mean, who leaked it? Uh, anyone in the MOD or anyone indeed number 10? I think I take the point about, uh, that Christopher said about leaks in the past obviously going to be leaks. But this time is different, I think, because there's a huge rug uh, within the, uh, in the Tory cabinet, in the government, with, uh, um, on, um, on personality, general policy, as well as specifically on this defence review. Uh, Cameron made it quite, the only thing that Cameron and, and, uh, and Fox can agree on actually uh, 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 The appalling legacy a complete mess as David Cameron called it today, uh, that uh, Labour left and he actually, Cameron then says, don't worry Liam Fox, don't worry uh, what, what, it, what, is, what is the problem with the defence budget, we've got tanks that can roll into Russia, we haven't got uh, too many aeroplanes ready for a dogfight fight with the Soviet Union, we've got too many rather of those, and uh, but we haven't got enough helicopters in Afghanistan, he said, now Cameron is clearly a pro-army man at this. To put, to to talk crudely about it, whereas Fox wants all that the Navy wants, i.e., aircraft carriers and uh, surface ships and so on. So there's a big. Argument as well as uh, Trident in the background, of course.
0: How do you see that this big rift transpiring? What do you think the consequences will be? Because it does seem that there's a lot of heads bashing together at the moment.
5: Well, I think Cameron's made it quite clear uh, this week at the National Security Council that uh, uh, that he's very, very deeply sceptical about the worth and the value of these two large aircraft carriers that are being built for the Navy. And he actually said, go back and find out what the contracts say if we cancel them or change the contracts or change the shape of at least one of the aircraft carriers. And um, he is quite uh, critical of 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 the navy's uh, ambitions, and he wants uh, to protect, uh, for for political reasons, much from anything else, the army from for heavy cuts, personnel cuts, anyway, until 2015, when we stop combat. uh, missions in in, uh, in in Afghanistan. So, uh, and meanwhile, the, the Treasury, of course, George Osborne, the Chancellor in the background, saying uh, the the, MOD, uh, the core budget uh, must pay for um, for Trident, and that's going to be postponed till 2015. I'm pretty sure too.
0: Of course, your your paper, The Guardian, has been coming out with plenty of stories ahead of the findings of the Strategic Defence and Security Review. Um, where are you getting your, your your information from? Is it theory or is it sound information
5: sound information of course, sound information from very long good long standing sources who will not reveal but uh, quite sophisticated I think, and calm sources and not ones uh, well everyone has a, an agenda of their own. I suppose people know about these things. Um, but I think people are going gone to ground a bit now because of the uh, eruption caused by this leaked letter from uh, Liam Fox to. Um, the Prime Minister uh, David Cameron, which was actually marked for the more or less for the Prime Minister's eyes only, which was interesting. I don't know what the circulation of this letter was, but
0: uh, so what do you, what do you think that the conclusions will be of the defense
2: review? Do you well, think I
5: think you? I, there's another sort of so called crunch meeting this coming Thursday or Friday, probably Thursday, uh, next week, and um, time is getting on because as Chris says, you know, you've got to decide on on uh, things, but uh, by the, comprehensive, the the parallel argument, the parallel uh, uh, decisions gonna be made on the comprehensive spending review, which will be announced October the 20th, the strategic uh, defence and security review, as it's called, will be announced, as I understand it, a few days after that. So there's a lot of decisions uh, 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 to be made. Now, I think what's going to happen is going to be a key decision, certainly on things like the carriers and fast jets. and maybe tanks and stuff, but a lot of other decisions and the detail of broad decisions are going to be left till much later, including personnel numbers, size of brigades in the army, um, and the, uh, whether the British army on the Rhine comes back to from Germany to Britain, and individual bases, what happens to Devonport. Those, there, all those decisions will be left till much later, I think.
0: Uh, Christopher, much talk about this, this meeting that's coming up next week. What do you think will happen as a result of that? More leaks? Aren't
4: to be more leaks. That's what meetings are for. I mean, people go in, a bit they get dissatisfied, they fire warning shots. I think R- Richard just mentioned one of the things that particularly interests me. Uh, David Cameron is very pro the army. He's, he's been well lobbied. Germany... That is going to be the real story. So you,
0: you think there are going to be leaks coming out next week about uh, Germany, do yeah, you? Yeah,
4: I think they're going to start leaking about Germany. Can you imagine it? Where are you going to put all those tanks? Can you imagine them all down the A303 with peace <laughs> aware notices on them? That's one of the problems, seriously. Richard, you, you, like, you, you like Christopher's solution
0: there? I'll
5: put them in the scrapyard, actually. But uh, what, what, as important is where do you put the soldiers? Um, the, the, the RAF bases or whatever aren't empty. Aren't empty. The ones in Britain. Where are they going to stay in Britain? The soldiers who are now in Germany. It'll take some time.
4: That's one of the reasons that it's very difficult to bring people back. But they're going to cut the numbers of soldiers, and therefore you will have fewer to bring back. But the, um, that is the problem. Yeah, but problem. that's
0: not, not. I mean, only five thousand would be at the moment. Oh, it's, it's
4: a long. It's a long way down. Only the five in thousand
5: in the short, in the it, shortish term. Mm. The one thing that
4: have got to do, though, uh, Richard, isn't it? It's stop getting to this idea look, we've got. We've you've got 37 billion quid how are we going to spend it? Mm. They're going to say, where do we want to be in the world in yeah. the next 30 or 40 yeah. years? Well, everyone is asking, review but no one about. seems to be
0: coming up with the answers on that one, do they? They
4: were supposed to come up with the answers. That was the whole point of it, but it's actually gone back to a good old slash-and-burn defence uh, uh, review as it was in ninety eight. <laughs> Richard, but, Richard do, you, well, do, you
0: think, do you think we are actually capable of, uh, of working out our position in the world? Because nobody seems to come up with well, those it, answers. It's
5: ironic they? that Liam Fox, the defence secretary, gives speech after speech saying, this is not going to be Treasury-driven. But but, but he also says (laughs) he also says that I I insist he has said all this uh, earlier this year ever since the election that it must be uh, a serious policy led review, and indeed we must be ruthless in choosing which uh, you know weapon systems or whatever we no longer need and want. And he seems to, not to have grasped the nettle, certainly in, in, implicitly, he's saying it, it, as though he's accepting uh, every message from every branch of the armed forces and not taking a choice himself, which I think is quite clear that Cameron, Cameron is taking choices, or beginning to take choices, which, are, to put it crudely, as it were, pro-Army, quote, anti-Navy, unquote, in the sense of he doesn't want the neighbour to get everything that they want.
0: All right, Richard Norton-Taylor, great to speak to you and uh, look forward to see what happens next week.
2: This is Sit Rep on BFBS.
0: Labour's four-month leadership campaign is finally over.
4: declare Ed Miliband the winner and the leader of the Labour Party.
0: Ed Miliband's victory was something of a surprise, and compared to his brother David, he's a mystery to many people. As Energy and Climate Change Secretary in the last Labour government, we learned little about his views on the military and foreign affairs. During the leadership campaign, he set out his belief Labour was wrong to take Britain to war in Iraq, and he expanded on that and his approach to Afghanistan in his first leader speech earlier this week.
6: Right now, this country has troops engaged in Afghanistan. They represent the very best of our country. They and their families are making enormous sacrifices on our behalf and we should today acknowledge their service and sacrifice. (laughs) I will work in a bipartisan way with the government to both support our mission and ensure Afghanistan is not a war without end. But just as I support the mission in Afghanistan as a necessary response to terrorism, I've got to be honest with you about the lessons of Iraq. I criticise nobody faced with making the toughest decisions and I honour our troops who fought and died there. But I do believe we were wrong. Wrong to take Britain to war and we need to be honest about that.
0: James Hurst was at the Labour conference. Uh, James, good to see you. A fresh start for Labour. Does this mean a fresh start for their defence policy?
1: Well, it's interesting uh, that Iraq was the clearest where he actually said Labour had got something wrong. Not just trying to break with the past. Not just trying to say he understood why people were concerned. But that talk about Afghanistan, you know, there's there's no change to the pretty much cross-party consensus, and there was no real more detail. Now, I did ask uh, Bob Ainsworth, still just shadow defence secretary, what he thought we could expect from the new leader on defence. I think he'll take his time. I think that he'll look at, you know, these issues over time. There's no need for him to rush. What's abroad in the newspapers is a kind of underestimation of Ed Miliband. I mean, this man has got steel. Uh, you know, he has uh, ability, huge ability. And he's very personable, you know, as well, which tends to hide that steel, uh, you know, behind, you know, a pleasant smile. So a lot of talk of a new radicalism from Ed Miliband, but I don't think we're going to see that immediately on defence. The one area, though, in the leadership campaign where Ed Miliband did seek to break with the past on defence, Trident. He said he did now think that should have been included in the
4: Strategic Defence and Security Review. All
0: right, uh, Christopher, um does it really matter what Labour thinks on defence? I think it's
4: very funny Bob Ainsworth saying, you know, there's no need for our, our big brave leader to, to rush. No, there isn't, because he's not going to be anything else but our opposition leader for another five years. Um, it's also a reminder that the Labour... It,
0: it will matter in five years, won't it, potentially?
4: Uh, not particularly, because we'll if I have had the defence review. You can't actually have a defence policy until you've actually seen what defence policy you're taking over from. It was the uh, Labour Party, by the way that actually ordered Trident, the new Trident. have already agreed that in 2006. They ordered the carriers. And the other thing which is fascinating about Labour, you talk to the military, they've always done better under Labour than they have done under Conservative, and that's a very strange thing. And one of the reasons for that is industrial. If you think about it... You, you, you keeping think, the
0: jobs at home.
4: Keeping the jobs at home. If, if it to cancelled, for example, the t- uh, tank production, as, a, a, as they were going to at one time, leads... Leeds would have gone under. We'd have never seen Leeds again. At the moment, we've got in Scotland, they're talking about 11,000 jobs going if the, if, if the carriers go. Absolute lot of nonsense, actually, but that's the sort of figures that they sort of bring, bring to bear. And so, in theory... Uh, the uh, the defence system can do much better under Labour. But Labour ain't going to get their hands on it for many years to come. James, what do you think?
1: Uh, Christopher is, is is right about right now. The only thing I would say is a week is a very long time in politics. A year? How long? You know, we've seen what's happened in the last seven days. and Unlike 1997, when the con- Conservatives were knocked out of government for, for 13 years, Labour don't actually have the luxury of time on their side. Because they do think, not necessarily likely, but there is a real possibility that in a year's time we could see the coalition government found They another, need to be prepared. I'll tell at thing, least. James.
4: In the last Labour government, the Defence Secretary rated, and he was the third biggest spender in Whitehall, he rated 22 in a cabinet of 24. That's the story. All right. But they see. need to be prepared.
0: <laughs> last word to you, James. Thanks very much. Sit Rep
7: with Kate J.
0: Still to come, the Army Families Federation take the Army top brass to task over deployments. And couldn't North Korea's future soon be in the hands of an unknown 20-something with a fondness for NBA basketball?
2: This is Zidrat on BFBS.
0: As Britain's most senior general leaves Afghanistan, he's warned talk of a drawdown doesn't mean the danger to British forces has passed. Lieutenant General Nick Parker is leaving his role as Deputy Commander of ISAF to become Land Forces Commander in the UK. But before that, a ceremony was held earlier this week in Kabul to mark his departure from Afghanistan. Will Inglis was there for us and he joins me now from Camp Bastion. Um, Will, how high profile was this event?
7: Well, Kate, assorted ambassadors and military figures were at ISAF headquarters to represent both the coalition countries and the government of Afghanistan at this rather serene ceremony. Uh, the commander of ISAF, General David Petraeus, and the Afghan defence minister, Abdul Rahim Wadak, thanked General Parker, as you might imagine, for his service, and both duly presented him with medals. Now, this all came just a day after General Parker had been speaking by video link to reporters in London, and he had stated that the July deadline next year for coalition troops to... To start withdrawing would not be, as he put it, some kind of a rush for the exit. He reiterated the importance of staying the course when he spoke to BFBS after the ceremony.
4: There is a fundamental change, I think, uh, which is that the, there is this sense of persistence about what we're doing. We're not going in... People used to talk about mowing the grass. We're not going into somewhere and then walking away out of it. We're staying there, and we're staying there with Afghans, and we're starting to bring local governments together. And it's slow, but it's persistent.
7: His view there of how Afghanistan has changed during his 10 months as the deputy commander of ISAF, and to his mind, further progress would mean that a withdrawal would be gradual, with tasks handed over to the Afghan security forces, although with ISAF troops remaining alongside in a mentoring role.
0: Boss and commander of ISAF, General Petraeus, go along with that thinking on the timetable.
7: Well, clearly, uh, there has been massive friction behind the scenes in the States, as documented in Bob Woodward's book, Obama's Wars. In fact, it was pretty um, manifest even before that was published. It seems pretty clear that Petraeus is reluctant for any kind of a timetable for withdrawal to be implemented, along, I have to say, with a large echelon in the US military. He really is, though, the driving force behind this strategy of handover to the Afghan security forces. When he spoke to BFBS, as I say, after General Parker's leaving event, he was pretty clear about how realistic that strategy of handover might be
8: we're not trying to turn afghanistan into switzerland in five years or less we have measured and realistic aspirations Uh, afghan good enough if you will is good enough Uh, and that's what we're we're trying to accomplish with our afghan partners who grow in strength and capability uh, literally every day every week
7: And as far as the rationale goes, he reiterated the importance of denying Afghanistan to terrorist groups.
0: Uh, And, Will, coming back to the Defence Review and Britain's defence budget, what did General Petraeus have to say about the idea of defence cuts harming Britain's position in the world?
7: Well, in these days of coalition warfare, clearly General Petraeus, as a leading military figure, has an interest in having strong allies for whatever may be around the corner. Asked about the prospect of big defence cuts in the UK, the General praised the British forces but also sounded a note of caution.
8: There's one partner that has been our most steadfast partner, and that is, of course, those who wear the uniform of your country. It has been an honour to serve with them in uh, now three straight conflicts. We feel very privileged uh, to have done that over the years, and I'm confident that as the review is conducted that there will be a keen awareness of the requirements uh, of the mission here and the other contingencies uh, that, that could loom out there uh, and that they'll make the right decision at the end of the day.
7: Now, I should say that he made these comments before Liam Fox's letter leaked to the press, but in fairness to him, he did at least answer the question.
0: All right, Will Inglis and Cambassian, thank you. Uh, Christopher, <clears throat> slow but persistent. Why are you laughing?
4: Yeah, I, mean, I love the general, you know, there's an old phrase, we call it mowing the grass. I mean, <laughs> let's get down to it, shall we? Uh, the truth is that uh, Afghanistan is militarily is a bit of a disaster. Uh, and when the But general- you can't
0: say that, can you, really? I'm not saying
4: it. I'm not saying it. I'll tell you what. International Institute of strategic, strategic Studies here in London supported it. Now they're saying maybe not. The RUSI supported it. They're saying no. Chatham House saying no, no, no. What are, the, what are they saying? The, to the about it? S- they're saying to me it was a wrong perspective. We went in there without a strategy. We, it's, not, it's not like Iraq where we didn't know how to get out of it or we have an interest like they got oil or or, or, or whatever. Um, they bought in their guy and he's turned out to be absolutely useless. I mean, he cries a lot. We're sorry about, you know, about the crying. But the point is, <laughs> you get something. I'm sure, all, he is, too. Yeah, the <laughs> things that have changed. I mean, for example, uh, they say, well, you know, some parts of the country are much, much better. That's okay as long as you provide the security. Mm. And when General Petraeus says, well, you know, next year, we're not actually going to just pull out. We're going to draw it out very, very easily. Watch for December. In December, he has got to go to the Oval Office and he's got to say to President Obama, listen, uh, this is what we think we can do by next July. President Obama will have just come out three weeks earlier from the results of the midterm elections. He is going to make all his judgments on the way Things go. they go because mm. in 19 months after that, well, in fact, effectively 13 months after that, he's into the presidential elections and he's got a lot of people breathing down his neck. And already people in Washington tell me that the, 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 the Republican Party, Obama's a Democrat, the Republican part, Party is already eyeing up General So Petraeus. the dates to
0: watch are December D- and...
4: Well, the, the, dates to watch, November... Right. November, You've got to watch November because how they do in the primaries and also in the midterm elections will will, will, make, will change the shape of the Senate. That will give Obama his cue for his response when Petraeus goes in on December the 6th and says, this is where we've got to, uh, Mr. President.
0: All right, Christopher, stay with us. sit rep. Wives, husbands and partners of serving soldiers have been expressing anger and frustration about the support they get during deployments. Around 500 people gathered in London yesterday for the Army Families Federation Conference. The keynote speaker was a chartered psychologist and TA soldier. Lionel Fairweather presented the research he'd done on the family-wide effects of returning to civilian life after deployment.
4: Plan for that, not just let it happen, not just turn up at home and think that everything is normal. No, you need to yourself go bit of through a bit of decompression in the same way as the uh, the military goes through decompression the family should attempt some form of organised planned decompression
0: Well, senior army officers were there to listen, including the head of the army, General Sir Peter Wall.
4: We should take great store from the support that we get from the Prime Minister and others in the context of first the military covenant, the commitment to continue operations in Afghanistan on the path to to success, and by implication, the continued support for our families.
0: The main theme of the conference was deployment, and a little earlier I spoke to Julie McCarthy, the AFF's chief executive. I began by asking her how much concern was raised about the support Support families get during deployments.
2: There was a lot of concern raised. I mean, I think the thing that struck me most was the fact there was two extremes. You know, there were some people, some unit welfare officers, there being honoured for the work they were doing with their families, and some who could give examples of you know great best practice. But there was obviously a lot of feeling from others that felt that they were in some ways being left, you know, left out and let down. And that particularly came across from the families of individual augmentees and those who lived in their own homes away from the patch were and how exactly did they feel let down i think it was it was contact it was lack of lack of contact and lack of information that they were receiving um, you know they didn't feel that they had somebody just even phoning them up saying hi how are you you know how's it going is that something that you'd normally expect then it is, yeah. I mean, I think it is. If you, you know, if you are on a patch, you are know, in the regiment. You know, the unit welfare store. No, your husband's away. will no be able to check in with you. We'll be keeping an eye on you. And I think when you are away from that unit, on either on your own or in your own home, then that simply doesn't happen.
0: Why do you think this this problem has arisen? Is it because of the current uh, discussions about Afghanistan, the pressure on spending cuts?
2: Um, no, I, I think it's more of us living in our own homes. You know, even um, the, the number of individual augmentees being away on their own has increased. So it has got to do with the level of ops that we're on. Um, but it's also, I think, our expectations are rising. You know, we are going through a lot at the moment, and I think families' expectations are quite high about the support they'll receive. They hear su- such a huge amount from the government on you know, the military covenant and support for families, and actually, good welfare support is is the first line support. That's that that the government
0: can give. How confident are you feeling about there being continued or or improved welfare support in the Defence Review?
2: I think, you know, we have huge supporters in General Wall and, you know, the senior commanders in the army. And I, you know, I don't think I can see them allowing the, the what we get to be eroded. And if anything, you know, they'll be pressing for it to improve. And if the government's got any sense, that's what they'll do.
0: And how, I mean, you talk about the, the kind of communication. Do you think we need more staff or, or just uh, more effort, more time put into it?
2: No, I think, you know, there are some welfare officers out there who work their backsides off. I mean, and that, you know, that has to be said. I think they need more resources. You know, it shouldn't be done on a shoestring. It shouldn't be done on a wish and a prayer and at the goodwill of people. You know, these officers need more, uh, more resources, better technology um, and really and better training in some instances as well.
0: Now, this conference of yours is held every two years. Uh, do you think it makes a difference? Do the army bosses actually take notice and do something about what you say?
2: Uh, judging from the feedback I got yesterday, at, both at lunchtime and at the end of the day, you know, the people that came up to me and said, this is the first time I've been, but it was fantastic. And I was really pleased. I think it's very worthwhile. You know, that, that people hear the stuff from the the voices of, of families. you straight from their mouth, not filtered, not what I think about it, but actually straight from them. And I think it's really, really worthwhile. And uh, we'll be there again in 2012.
0: Julie McCarthy from the Army Families Federation. Now... North Korea's ruling party met this week for the first time in 30 years to clear the way for a handover of power in the country. Kim Jong-il's youngest son, Kim Jong-un, looks set to take control of the secretive state. He'd already, already been identified as a likely successor, but with questions over his father's poor health, he suddenly moved into the spotlight, Christopher Lee is still with me hi Christopher we we just saw Kim Jong-il on telly didn't we that's right looking great looking looking pretty good actually looking very very
4: good (laughs) love the suit yeah
0: Uh, so um, what's going on here exactly he's lining up his son well
4: he he likes the young boy because the others are actually no-no's I mean, you wouldn't buy an ice cream from them. They really don't know how to do it. I didn't it.
0: even know they sold ice creams in North Korea, Korea Christopher. North Korea have big <laughs> ice
4: it's big, it's, they're, big, they're, big, they're big in uh, Pyongyang. But the, the point being, it's not just him. There are all sorts of changes going on. The one to watch for, in fact, is, uh, is Un's aunt. That, is, she,
0: is she the real thinker behind all of this? I think
4: she's going to turn out to be... Uh, her husband is, is, is a sort of I eminence mean, gris. Her husband is, is a wheeler-dealer. But uh, Kim Kyung-hui, her name is... Hmm. She is going to be a sort of dowager duchess. She's going to be filtering around and saying moving. She the Lady
0: Macbeth, is she? Uh,
4: well, I hope not. I'm remembering <laughs> what happened to her. Um, but no, she is going to be one of the one of the people that's actually going to be running it. And I think that we that next thing we have to watch for, you know, who's made a four star general. Mm. Well, that's fine. They all get to be four star generals. If you sit on the commission, the military commission, you've got to watch for. He's not on the Politburo. He's not on the, uh, the political side. And
0: that would be the proof that he was actually... That would be that, the proof. The so seal, watch for it? that.
4: And watch for that <laughs> round about sort of February of next year. So unless t- he dies, unless uh, his father dies.
0: And Kim Jong-un. Let's, tell, let's uh, hear a bit more
8: about well, him.
4: Well, we know, you know, about you know, him? You know he, he's, he's, what, 26, 27. I'm not sure that anybody... Educated really in Switzerland. Um, well, he went to Switzerland anyway. Uh, he led a pretty quiet life and kept to rats. And he likes basketball. Used to write to Michael Jordan. You As know, the, do. The, American, <laughs> the American basketball player. Well, it was better than writing to Wayne what? Rooney, wasn't it? Because you get a reply. No. <laughs> but, but, uh, but he used to do I'm that. not sure
0: Wayne will be listening, so but, he won't be offended. That's right,
4: he will. Now, the, the important thing here is that you've got this sense, just like his father. Mm. You know, his father's got the biggest collection of old Hollywood movies, mm. I think, of any leader apart yeah. from Brezhnev. Now, they're not isolated from the rest of the world but the country is isolated. And so mm. what we've got to start guessing is what happens to the country under, let's say, the aunt, the son, and the other guys. Is that important? And why
0: is it so important to us? Why should people care here? It's
4: regional. It's regional. If I, for example, a nuclear if, arms race yeah, if might I, develop that. If I, if, I if, if I were starting my career in a, in a training camp in, let's say, Caterick on Monday morning, mm. in five or six years' time, Somebody would be saying to me, we are on standby, perhaps an intervention force, not in Korea, but in the Far East. Why? Because one of our number one allies is Japan. And Japan, if the Koreans go any further with nuclear weapons, Japan will start building nuclear weapons.
0: And therein lies your argument for the Navy.
4: Yeah. This is where you need flattops. You need carriers that can actually project power without without actually going into a country. What have we been talking about? We've been talking about Afghanistan, how do you get out? We had an American general saying that the British ran away from Basra this week. You know, these are complications. When you book people in, you've got a problem.
0: Christopher Lee, great to talk to you. Thanks for your time this week. That is it on SITREP. We'll be back with another edition of SITREP at the same time next week. Until then, from me, Kate Chabot, thanks for listening. I'll see you soon.